Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Um, My guest today is someone that has been on Soul Talk, I think, a few times. Uh, If you know me, you know her. I consider her my my big sister, my soul sister, uh, one of my dearest friends. Her and her husband uh, are like family to me. You probably know of her through her book, um, Soulmate Secret, um, Wabby Sabby Love. Um, But today I wanted to bring her on because she has a new book out. It's called The Love Thief, which is an incredible title. If you haven't checked out The Love Thief, I want you to go and buy it now. It is fiction. And I want, uh, folks, I typically don't read fiction. So when she asked me to read this book and I read it, Literally, I think I messaged her after the first couple of pages and I told her, this is really good. And I wasn't just saying that because she's my friend and family and sister. It is an amazing book that is amazingly written with such creativity that I felt so proud of her that I wanted to get her on uh, Soul Talk to explore the love thief, uh, all themes around love. And uh, let's just have an organic conversation. Welcome, Arielle Ford. It's so good to see you, my brother. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. So let's jump in, you know, let's, let's let, like love thief. Like this is, this is not the typical book you've written before. And so I'm, I'm really curious just, just for the listeners too, like what, what, in, what inspired you as a self-help or PR person, author, best-selling self-help author, someone who can write self-help books in their sleep at this point, to pivot into writing a fiction book, which you know, it's not, it's for me, it's hard enough writing self-help, but to write fiction with all the layers and the narratives and the storylines and like what inspired that? Well, I don't know that I was inspired as much as I was pushed into it. What happened, because uh, you know, writing a novel was never on my to-do list ever. Never in my life did I have a really? conscious thought I should write fiction ever. And yet one day the title came to me and then the first line of the book came and then it started to unfold in my mind like a movie, a movie that wouldn't stop. And I resisted as hard as I possibly could. I was like, no, go away. I'm not a novelist. I don't know how to write a novel. I don't want to go away, go away. And it wouldn't. And the characters were waking me up in the middle of the night and they were talking to me. And um, I could see that the majority of the story takes place in Rishikesh, India, a place that I've Mm. been to many times and love very much. But, you know, who am I to write a novel? Mm -hmm. And so I talked to God. (laughs) I Mm. said, "Okay, God, if I'm supposed to write this book, then I need to manifest a business class ticket to India, which is about $7,000. And should that happen, I will take it as a clear sign that I'm to write this book. And I was like, oh God, I got all Manifest as in like someone gifting you a ticket? Yeah, somebody gifting me a ticket. And I thought, I am so safe. That is never going to (laughs) happen. Two days later, I had the ticket in my hand. How? I went to see a friend of mine who was an old business partner and we were just hanging out talking. And he's like, so Ariel, what are you up to? And I jokingly said, I'm trying to manifest a trip to India. And he said, oh really, when do you wanna go? And I gave him these dates and he looked at his calendar and he said, I'll take you. Cause last time we went to India, we had a blast. Yeah, let's do it, let's go. I'll have my assistant buy the tickets today. And what ended up happening was the day before departure, he had a cancel 
And, but he said, no, you go, you go do what you got to do. I'm sorry, I can't join you. And it was like such a great relief because I didn't need a distraction. I just needed the ticket. So mm -hmm. off I went to Rishikesh. And as soon as I got there, magic started to happen. The scenes, the people, the places that saw in the movie in my head, I was tripping over them. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, a lot of what happens takes place in a spiritual bookstore in Rishikesh overlooking the Ganges. Now, on my previous trips to Rishikesh, I'd never gone into a spiritual bookstore. Mm -hmm. I didn't need a spiritual bookstore. I have Amazon. And before that, I had the Bodhi tree. So, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't need this. And yet I walked into this store and I, I was like blown away. It looked exactly like the one in my head. The man wow. standing behind the counter looked exactly like the man I saw. And every day, every hour, stuff like this was happening. Like I remember one day, thinking I was seeing everybody walking around with red strings on their wrists. And I thought, oh, I would like a red string blessing. I'd like a red string blessing from a holy man. And I'm walking hmm. through Papavan, the downtown part of Rishikesh. And I see this man painted and dressed as Anuman. And he said, may I offer you a blessing? Boom. This was happening nonstop. So when I got home, I knew that I had made a promise to God that I was going to write this book. <laughs> and I sat down. And I think the first thing I did was cry because I didn't know how to write a novel. Wow. I had no idea. I, I really didn't. And, and I didn't even know the whole story. I just knew the, knew the parts of the movie that I was seeing. Wow. And I thought, you know, nobody knows I'm doing this besides Brian. Wow. You know, like, I'm just going to try. And I And I sat down and it just started coming through me. And then I decided, well, I've got like 30 pages. Let mm. me show them to Peter Gazzardi. Now, who's Peter Gazzardi? Peter Gazzardi was- Oh, yeah. The Deepak. Deepak. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was Deepak's editor. So I knew Peter forever. I'd actually been to India with Peter. Hadn't oh. talked to him in years. And I just emailed him. It's like, oh, I'm kind of sort of attempting to write a novel. Would you take a look? And he wrote me back the most beautiful email saying, girl, you can write, keep going, you know, write, send me pages anytime. And I was like, oh, my God, wow, things I should keep going. I will. And then, you know, two weeks later, I had more pages and I sent them to another friend and and she wrote me back. Oh, my God. You know, I hate your villain. I hated him from page three. Keep wow. going. Wow. You know, so, and, and I discovered something really embarrassing about myself. Mm. I'm a very needy person, you know, like I'm not needy when it comes to writing nonfiction. I know I can write that shit, mm. Mm. but I was so insecure about my ability to write fiction that almost every week I was sending somebody pages, you know, waiting to get feedback. Yeah. You had me hooked. It's a page turner. I really mm. love it. Mm. And sometimes some of my author friends would write back. Yeah, this is really good. And here's what you need to do, or here's what's missing. Wow. So, I think the longest chapter in the book is the acknowledgement section. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, what, what is like, j j just as we start, like Love Thief, such a good title for me, like mega best-selling, you know, movie. I can see it. I could like see a Julie Roberts in that, in that movie. But what does Love Thief mean? So the tagline for the book is he broke her heart. He crushed her dreams until karma intervened. Oh. And it's the story of a woman who uh, inadvertently falls in love with a toxic narcissist. Mm. He ends up just ruining her life. I mean, not only does he break her heart, he betrays her with her best friend and business partner. And at the same time, she gets into a car accident that nearly kills her. So her entire life is wiped out in the span of a couple of minutes, and she doesn't know how to cope. She is not a seeker. She's not a believer. She is the daughter of a single mom who's a new age baby boomer who goes on Esther Hick cruises, and <laughs> dream catchers over her crib. So she is a reaction to her mother, you know? Uh, so there's nothing even mom can say that's gonna make mm -hmm. her feel better. All she knows is that her lifelong dream of finding Prince Charming and having babies and, you know, being a well-known chef, all of it's wiped out. And what does she do? Mm. And she has an auntie uh, who's 
Indian born but American trained attorney who's been with her her whole life, who says to her, I was going to give you a check for $10,000 as a wedding gift. She said, but I'm going to give it to you as a recreate your life gift. And wow. I think since you're a chef and since you love cooking, go to my cousin's cooking school in Rishikesh and learn how to make Indian comfort food. And when my parents move into my, my guest house, you can, I'll pay you to cook Indian comfort food for you. So she'd at least have some kind of future. Mm. So that's what she does. She goes off to India. She has no idea it's a holy city. And that probably would have dissuaded her. She doesn't know it's the yoga capital of the world, which she's not interested in yoga because her mother was always doing it. And yet she lands in Rishikesh and magic begins to happen. Mystical experiences that she mm. can't explain begin to happen. Mm. So it's it's this um story my i have a, a producer in hollywood who wants to turn it into a limited streaming series and she says it's eat pray love meets dirty john <laughs> <laughs> and that is exactly that what it sounds is sounds juicy it, it, it was a, it was really a great read and when i was reading it I, I was so surprised because i did not expect you to be like this good at writing fiction and and i hate reading fiction but i i was gripped you know, like page after page. So amazing job. You know, one question I have is I think people listening, they're hearing you talk about like setting this intention, manifesting this business class ticket, then going to Rishikesh and all these magical things happening, these synchronicities happening. And some people might be thinking, well, none of that shit happens to me. Like, like, like I don't experience any of that. But and have for, you asked? But have so, so, asked. so for the person who's wondering, like, I don't experience, you know, amazing manifestations and these so-called miracles that Ariel speaking about. How, I guess, how do they bring themselves into that alignment? What do they do? Yeah. Okay, that's a great question. So, so let me give you my understanding of quantum science. Yeah. Let's start there. So, in quantum science, we know two things. The first is. There's no past and there's there's no future. There's just this now moment. Mm. And the second thing is, is that we all coexist in the unified field. We are already connected to everything and everybody in the unified field. Mm. So if you accept this, and most people who understand quantum physics agree with this, then the truth is the desire that you have, you wouldn't have the desire if the possibility and probability for it to come into fruition wasn't already there. And in the field where there is no time, there's just this now moment. So if you're willing to get out of your head and drop into your heart and put yourself into what heart math calls the state of heart coherence, where you're re-experiencing love and appreciation and gratitude, and you call up a feeling, let's say it's a feeling of gratitude, and the, the feeling is, you know, I'm so grateful that the desire that I'm asking for, in my case, it was a $7,000 airline mm -hmm. ticket, mm -hmm. is already mine. And mm -hmm. I put myself into the frequency, into the vibration of knowing that in the field, mm -hmm. it already exists. Mm -hmm. And then, and this is the hard part for everybody, then I let go and mm -hmm. I stay completely surrendered and detached to the outcome. So mm -hmm. I had the desire, I put it out there, but I wasn't, you know, walking around searching for it right. or asking for right. it. And if my friend Mike hadn't asked me the question that he did, what are you up to? And I didn't expect this to pop out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. I certainly never in a million years dreamed that he would make that offer. Mm -hmm. It popped out of my mouth and voila, it mm -hmm. was there. Mm -hmm. And this happens on a really regular basis. And I wouldn't say I get what I ask for all the time, mm -hmm. but often I do. And sometimes it's as, as simple as a gluten-free chocolate chip cookie. Mm. You know, I was, I was at a TLC meeting uh, uh -huh. down, at, down in Mexico with our group and I was having lunch with Lisa Nichols and some other people. And Lisa walked away from the table. And as she walked away, I had this craving for a gluten-free chocolate chip cookie. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh God, that would be the perfect ending to this lunch. <laughs> Five minutes later, Lisa walks up to me. There's a cookie on a napkin in the palm of her hand. And she said, 
I saw this gluten-free chocolate chip cookie and I thought of you here. Wow. So it can be as easy as easy. that. You yeah, know, Brian yeah. does it all the time with parking spaces. I just got to add that in. Mm-hmm. I never find parking spaces. He always does, even right. in downtown La Jolla where there are none. I have good luck with parking spaces. In terms of like, what's your thought then on like the discernment or is there a place of discernment of what desires like are authentic, aligned, or are just all desires sort of desires that have been sort of put there by the, the divine? Or are there some desires that are like, mm, that desire is a bit off. That desire is more ego, you know, yes. the car, the, you know, dating 60 women or, or not being committed. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, how does one discern, like, what's an authentic desire? Do I just ask for whatever I want and it's authentic or is it coming from my wounding? Um, you know, I would say that that the most authentic desires come from destiny. So I spent a lot of years teaching the law of attraction in a way that I now call law of attraction 101, which is there's something that I want or desire. Mm -hmm. I have my bag full of attraction tricks, whether it be a vision board or an altar or dancing naked under the moon or whatever it is. Right. And then, and then I say prayers and, and then I, take the action steps that one would take. Mm -hmm. And then most of the time it'll work to some degree. Mm -hmm. And what I've now come to understand, and a lot of this happened because we here in California were in lockdown for so long. Yes. And I see that, that when I look at the biggest, most amazing things that have happened to me in my life, Mm -hmm. they didn't come out of a desire. They came out of destiny because my imagination is not big enough to have conjured up what came to me. And it, what came, what it generally came out of was a low point in my life where things were really bad and I was really miserable and I decided to surrender. I decided to just say, okay, God, I, I just don't know how to do this or what to do it. So I'm just going to follow the breadcrumbs, whatever little signs you give me, I will follow. And Mm -hmm. out of doing that, the biggest shifts in my life have occurred. And when I realized that, I thought, okay, then I need to stop doing the 101 stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I've proven to myself that Mm -hmm. I can do it. (laughs) But by doing that, I'm eating up space that is preventing the bigger destiny from making Mm -hmm. itself known. So it's a paradox, you know, yeah, there's yeah. this intention and there's surrender. There's, I want to have it. I'm going to make it happen. And there's mm-hmm. detachment. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest messages in the book mm-hmm. is about understanding that the goal in life is not happiness. Mm-hmm. We've all been programmed to seek happiness. And what I've learned is that happiness isn't the best place to go because happiness is dependent on people, places, and experiences. I'll be happy when I meet the guy or the girl. Yes. You meet them and you're happy until the first big blowout. (laughs) And you find out, oh my God, I chose wrong again. I'm not happy anymore. Mm. And what I learned along the way, and I'm going to show you this rock that I keep on my desk. It says Santosha, utter contentment. Santosha is a Sanskrit word, which means utter contentment. So when you're going for utter contentment, it doesn't matter if you're happy or you're not happy, if it's Mm. raining or if it's sunny, because we know life is constantly changing anyway. But can you just be content? Can you choose to be with what is? And it's, Mm. it's, you know, it's an advanced place to get to. But what I've discovered is that if my intention is to be more in Santosha, as opposed to seeking the happy, mm-hmm. you know, that's a more sane, I, I want to say grounded. And yet at the same time, the visual I get is sitting on the bottom of the ocean. So above me, the waves may be turbulent, but sitting 30 feet down on the bottom of the ocean is the place of Santosha, the place of calm. Mm-hmm. How, so how does one get to Santosha? Like, let's say we understand the concept. Okay, after contentment, but I, you know, I, someone listening might say, but, but like I, 
I, I can't pay my rent this month. Like, am I just supposed to be content with that? Or, you know, I'm going for the sales goal and I really want to achieve the sales goal because I want, because I want to do good things in the world. And like, just, do I just have no desire? Do I drop expectation? And just like, I'm happy. I'm, I'm just at peace. I'm at peace, but I'm convincing. Like, like how does one get there? You know, I know. And, you know, I just wrote a whole blog about this and I don't think I have it. Printed on my <laughs> desk, or I, I answer that question in the blog. So if anybody goes to my website, okay. go to soulmatesecret.com. It's the .com. It's the most current blog oh. called uh, "The Problem with Happiness," uh -huh. and I take you through that whole thing there. Mm -hmm. uh, because, hey, coot, I'm 70 now. My memory sucks. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I have to write everything down. You know, uh, I just can't remember everything. Yeah. But, but here's what I know for me is I have a lot of talking going on to myself all the time. Mm -hmm. and, I, and lately my talking has been, Oh, okay. You spent four and a half years writing this book, mm -hmm. you know, and as authors, how do we measure success? Mm -hmm. Well, some people measure success through bestseller lists. I don't do that because being in the business for so long, I know how manipulated the lists are. Uh -huh. Right. Uh, I actually want to measure success two different ways. One by the feedback I'm getting from people who are saying they got something from the book mm -hmm. that it was, it was entertaining or it was healing or whatever mm -hmm. it was for them. Mm -hmm. That really lights me up. And the other is actual book sales, which come over time, you know, right, like you can right. manipulate the system Upfront. and you can get on a bestseller list for one week yeah. as you threw everything at it. And then you drop off the list, yep. which tells all the people in charge of the list, oh, this was manipulated. Mm. Or you can have a word of mouth bestseller like in the old mm. days, mm -hmm. right? Which is, you know, really the truth that somebody read your book and it was meaningful and they bought a copy and handed it to a friend mm. or they told a friend, oh, I just read this great book and it's mm. about this and that. You'd really love it. And so I'm there's the part of me that's like, Oh my God, I do have, know how to manipulate the system. Do I really want to focus on that? Mm. Because, you know, right now, lots of people sell 79 copies of a 99 cent ebook on Amazon and they become number one in an in obscure category. category for one hour. And then they <laughs> call themselves a best selling author, yeah. which, you know, I find really offensive yeah. you know, because it's not true. It was yeah. manipulated and 99 cents. Yeah. You can get anybody mm -hmm. to buy something for 99 cents, mm -hmm. you know? And so there's this part of me that says, Oh, just do what everybody else is doing, doing it. And there's other part of me that's like appalled that I'm having that thought. Mm -hmm. And yet the desire is, oh my God, I invested four and a half years of my life. I want people to read this thing. Mm -hmm. So no matter, how, you know, so I've been studying this material mm -hmm. since September 12th, 1984. Mm -hmm. That was the day my life changed where I came to understand that I could co-create my life with the universe by mm -hmm focusing on desires and feelings and stuff. And yet I have to remind myself every day mm. that, you know, who, who do I want to be and what do I want to be? And do I want to be authentic in my use of the wisdom that I have, as opposed to being manipulative mm. with it? Mm. So it's a, you know, it's this new battle I'm having. Yeah. Uh, and, and I imagine every other author has the same thing. I mean, I have, you know who my friends are. I have friends that have sold literally tens of millions of millions. books. Yeah. And every time a new book comes out, they're on Amazon checking their rankings in the top 100, you know, every 30 seconds. You mm. know, there's, you know, we want to win. We're human mm. beings. We mm. want to win. And we want a big W on our forehead mm. as opposed to the So, is, so is, is, San, is Santosha just not caring about, let's say, uh, the, not the being book. attached to you could care and I think wow. all authors care mm -hmm. you know we care about what we've invested in but I think it's about being okay and not giving it meaning mm -hmm. having discernment yep. over the meaning that we're giving it like yes. what does it mean you know I've read you know people always introduce me as a best-selling author now what I am is a strong mid-list author you know I get I get most of the time good book deals because I can sell a certain amount of books, but
but I've never been in the top 10 on the New York Times list. Mm -hmm. I've never been in the top 50 in the USA Today list. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, have I been, you know, like I've been on the LA Times list for a minute and a half, that sort of thing. I don't consider myself a best-selling author. I consider myself an excellent storyteller who has learned how to write fiction. Yes. You know, and I'm comfortable with that. But the, you know, the title best-selling author. Let me, so let me ask you, because you talked about quantum physics and, and co-creating the reality. Is it possible that you, you just said, I'm going to be a best-selling author and just hold that intention and align with that and like feel it and visualize it and New York Times best-selling and see it and you create that, that that comes into focus or do you feel like that is not necessarily your destiny or, or because if you say we can i just want to tease this out for people because if we can co-create why not create well i think i think we co-create in alignment with uh-huh. our destiny mm-hmm. okay so if it is your destiny to be a new york times best-selling author and you're playing the game according mm-hmm. to the rules like with this particular book i consciously decided to self-publish Oh. as opposed to go to a New York publisher. Now, why did I do that? Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, this is a really good summer beach read. Mm. And had I didn't finish the book till January of this past January. Had we gone out and shopped it yeah. and we've gotten a deal, it wouldn't come out till the earliest summer yes. 2024. So I didn't want to wait. Two, the book is over 100,000 words. And most New York publishers would have made me cut 30,000 words, which I didn't want to do. And number three, and this is the most important one, and you know this one, is because no matter if your publishers, Simon & Schuster, Random House, HarperCollins, whoever it is, they lean on the author to do all the heavy lifting with the marketing. So I was going to do that piece of it anyway. So when when I teased out all the pros and the cons, I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to self-publish, you know, Mm. because I don't want to cut the book and I do know when I want it to come out and I'm going to do the same marketing anyway, and I'll see what it's like. And, you know, is it hard? Yes. It's so much harder than I thought, because in the past I was pampered by my publishers who did all the line editing and the proofing and all this behind, Mm. talk to the sales team and do, did all this behind the scenes Mm. stuff Mm -hmm. that I was never really aware of. And then suddenly it's my responsibility Mm. and oh my God, it's really hard. Mm. So, so Mm. it's been a big lesson. I'm glad I've done it. I am thrilled with how the story came out Mm. Um, and, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Wow. You mentioned uh, the the theme of like uh, the the character in the story that meets, dates a narcissist and And so I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. How do we, for those that might be in relationship, how does someone spot a narcissist? And, and if they are in relationship with a narcissist, what do they do? Okay, so if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, go to a, a qualified therapist, which I am not. This book is about a man who is a toxic narcissist who preys on a certain type of woman, uh-huh. okay? So he preys on women that are, are smart, beautiful, wealthy, mm. and then he goes in and breaks their heart and steals their money. And I was able to write this story because I have three girlfriends, mm. all of whom are household names, who I'm not gonna name, mm. who are all taken in by a man like this. And wow. how does he do it? Because, narcissists are um, are so smart, okay? Mm. So they know that these women that are highly driven to be very successful, they're wanting love in their life, but they make no time for it. So what they do is they they love bomb them. And that's a technical term. They love, love bomb. bomb. What they is love bombing? Them. Love bombing is you meet somebody, you flirt with them, you tell them, oh, my God, you're so beautiful. How, how could a gorgeous, successful woman like you still be single? You should have been snapped up long ago. You know, they ask a lot of questions. They make the woman feel seen and heard. And then they romance her to the nth degree. Mm. 
you know, they buy her mm-hmm. sexy lingerie and they cook her gorgeous candlelit dinner for two and there's flowers and candy and they whisper in her he- in her ear everything she's always wanted to hear. So in The Love Thief, you know, my villain, Barry, is whispering into Holly's ear, who's 38 and her eggs are about to expire. Yes, yes. You know, you and I would have the most beautiful children together. Oh. And even I have tw- I have teenagers from an earlier marriage. I've always mm-hmm. wanted more, more kids. And, and I can just see us, you know, we'll spend our summers in their Hamptons and we'll ski Tahoe in the winter and we'll have the most beautiful life together. And, and you're going to be the greatest mom that ever lived. And that was her whole dream yeah. to so, be the greatest. So they just kind of psychically, they, they, they sense it. They know. Right. And then they start falling in love and all the dopamine and adrenaline and oxytocin mm. are, is going off. And they're now mm. emotionally and physically bonded and they're in love. And then, you know, two, three months in who they really are begins to show up. And every time something shows up, even if they're really verbal about it, oh, somebody called me today and they told me that you did such and such to so-and-so and And rather than deny it, they'll probably say, well, would you like to hear my story, my side of the story? And Mm. here's what happened. And they give a story that's completely believable and viable and they feel Mm. good again. Okay. This is the guy he appears to be, even though the red flags are appearing, he Mm. knows how to jump those fences. So, so the thing, the other thing that, uh, really comes out in the story and this was something i learned um from from this woman who's the world's leading love anthropologist Mm. they have shown scientifically that getting over a broken heart is harder than overcoming a cocaine addiction harder harder oh my gosh harder So, so you know when you're involved with somebody like that you're actually an addict you're a junkie and you need the attention and you need the love and you'll do anything to get it, including refusing to see what's in front of you. The first line of the book is, my mother was right. Mm. Holly's mother tried to tell her right in the beginning, I don't trust this guy, but she Mm. couldn't hear it because he was fulfilling all these these longings and needs Mm -hmm. inside of her. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I'll tell everybody that yes, this book, my favorite part of this book is that it has a very juicy revenge subplot. It does. Yeah. And it does have a fabulous, surprising, happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's incredible. Wow. Love bombing, the love thief. Folks, you want to check this book out. Um, side question um, while I have you here. The spiritual industry, you know, you, you, you wrote a lot of self-help books. Now you wrote a fiction. When you look at the spiritual um, theme today in 2023, I'm curious what you see. I'm curious how you've seen it evolve. And I'm curious or devolve, right? I'm curious about your thoughts on the current state of self-help, personal growth, spirituality today, your honest thoughts. And we haven't spoke about this, so I'm, I'm very curious because I know you're, you're, you're no BS and you have such a sharp way of seeing things and you've been around the block. So, you know, there was a time, let's say in the 80s and early 90s, when people on a spiritual path were reading the classic spiritual books, Autobiography of a Yogi, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of books. They were interested in, in you know, connecting with the divine on a meaningful and deep way. Then it became a thing where I would run into, you know, I do some coaching for women around dating and love. And they'd say, well, I need somebody who's really spiritual. And I said, well, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I I do Mm -hmm. my 20 minutes of meditation and then I do my journaling and then I have my green drink and then I go to hot yoga and I Uh stop by at Whole Foods and I get my vegan lunch on the way back and then I go do uh you know my core writing thing and you know and then I stop by Lululemon to get the latest you know so the whole thing is they've conflated healthy Mm. lifestyle Mm. with spirituality 
Mm-hmm. You know, because for me, spirituality isn't something you claim to be. Oh, I'm a spiritual person, mm-hmm. unless you're going to church or temple on a regular basis, or you're doing seva, you're being of service to other people, and you're doing your best to not be so judgmental and have compassion and, you know, working with the community. That To me, that's what true spirituality is. But just because you're reading certain books and you're drinking your green drinks mm-hmm. or you're going to your yoga class, there is even meditating. The truth is there is nothing inherently spiritual about mm-hmm. meditation or yoga, mm-hmm. because if that were true, there wouldn't be so many male meditation and yoga teachers who have gotten swept up in the me too thing <laughs> yeah. because they're having you know sex with yeah. their devotees. Yeah. Right. True. So, so I think for me, I, there's a level at which I want to divorce myself from the personal growth world. I don't feel like I'm in alignment with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, What they've become is really good marketers. You know, if you see them at the affiliate conferences, they're up on stage. We crushed it. We killed it. You know, we're having green buttons instead of red buttons on the call to action. And therefore, Mm -hmm. we're selling this much more of our product on how to make a million bucks in 90 days. And the truth mm. is they're marketers. Mm. They're really good marketers who are, have co-opted. Yeah. Just like the Democrats say, or Marianne Williamson likes to say, the Republicans co-opted Jesus and the language of God and spirituality. <laughs> so, so, you know, for me, I'm, I'm dismayed at what I've mm. seen happen, mm. you know, and there's a handful of people that I think mm-hmm. are truly heart-centered and moving from a place of wanting people to have better lives. Mm. And then there's a whole bunch of them that are just, you know, trying to, trying to do their eight figure incomes because they have a staff of 30 or 40 or 50, and they need to bring in a half million dollars a month just to cover what they're doing. Mm. You know? So and- how, 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 how do you think there will be a shift? How does it shift? How does it shift back? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to live long enough to see any meaningful shift. Mm. You know, I, I don't know that the planet can maintain much longer what we've done to it. Mm. Fortunately for me, I don't believe that death is the end. I'm total believer in reincarnation and other dimensions. And I have Mm -hmm. zero fear of dying because Mm. a, most of the people I've loved my life are on the other side anyway. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. And B, uh, I know that love never dies. Mm. Death is just an illusion. What I do fear, and, that, and I'm working on this, is I have a fear of physically suffering. I have a fear of being in pain or a fear of, of being without. Yeah. And that's yeah. my core wound that I've really focused on uh, my whole life is how how do I remain in alignment of faith and trust, mm. knowing and trusting that the universe does have my back. And I have plenty of proof. I have 70 years worth of proof Yes, yes. that the universe has my back, mm. right? And especially on the days when I'm not believing it. I mm. always like to say my, my favorite line in A Course in Miracles is, in this moment, I have everything that I need. Mm. That's and a beautiful there's never statement. a moment when that's not true. Look at us right in now. The, yeah, in this are, moment, in this, this folks, moment. I want you to hear that. In this moment, right now, I have everything. I, we're not talking about 25 moments from now or 10 year, a year from now, but in this moment, I have everything I need. That's beautiful. Right. And then the um, other one is that from the course that I really like is the only thing that can be lacking in any situation mm. is that which you are not giving. Mm. Let that sink in. Wow. The only thing that can be lacking in any situation is that which you are not giving. Mm. So if you ha- just write those two things down, mm. right? Mm. And and hang on to them for when you when you are in a, a place of fear or anxiety. You know, that will help as well. I have a whole bucket full of things. I do a tapping, the Sedona method. I have my inner balance app from the Institute of Heart Map, where I put myself in heart coherence. I take aromatherapy baths. I go and get my husband to give me a 20 second hug to rebuild my oxytocin. And even with all of this wisdom and knowledge, 
I still access it every single day because you never know what moment's going to throw you. You know, one moment I'm in Santosha, everything's calm and peaceful. And then I get an email or I get a call or I get a text and boom, you know, I'm in fight or flight. Oh my God, that's so annoying. How did that happen? How fast can I fix it? And that's, you know, we're human. I'm yeah, human. human. Yes. Yeah. In terms of heartbreak, I thought it was interesting, you know, in the book, but also you talked about uh, getting over heartbreak is more difficult than getting over cocaine addiction. That's a, a human, a real human experience of heartbreak. For those that might be going through heartbreak, what, what are some things, what guidance can you give to someone who's going through heartbreak right now and healing heartbreak? Well, the one that I would recommend is what I call a daily gratitude practice. And, and what that is, it's super easy to do, is you sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and you make a list of all the people that you love that you know also love you. So it could mm. be your parents, your siblings, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your cats, your dogs, all of those, make a list. So let's say you have 12 people on your list. Mom loves me, dad loves me, best friend Judy loves me, you know, business partner Coot loves me, you know, my, my cat Max loves me. And then you take that list and then you close your eyes, drop down into your heart and just picture each one, one by one and say, I am so grateful to have this abundance of love in my life. I'm so mm. grateful that mm. Kud is my brother and I love him and he loves me. And then you send them a wave of love. And then you do it with the next person until you've done it with all 12 people. Mm. And by the time you've done, you are present to the abundance of love in your life. Mm. Now, do you still have this heartbreak? Yes, but you're now vibrating at the frequency of abundant love, which mm. makes your heart magnetic to more possibility of romantic love and to mm -hmm. healing. The other thing is when people are in heartbreak, they think they have to stop loving the person in order to heal. Uh -huh. And you do not. You don't have to stop loving them. What you do need to do is stop obsessing about them. Stop thinking about them. Mm -hmm. You know, put yourself on a detox diet. There's a very extreme love detox diet that I learned from Dr. Pat Allen, which is absolutely mm -hmm. brilliant. So let's say you've just gone through this big breakup. What she would tell you to do is that for the next six weeks, you have zero contact, no zero. calls, no texts, no emails, no drive-bys, no stalking them on social media, mm -hmm. blocking them everywhere. And before you begin this process, you have a conversation with them and you say to them, I'm about to do something to help myself heal. Please don't see this as a form of punishment to you, yes. but I'm begging you for the next six weeks, I need total radio silence, mm. no contact whatsoever, right? So there are, there are things that you can do that will really help you. And, um, Mm -hmm. But getting over the obsession, you know, is a difficult thing. But just find a little corner in your heart. Okay, I still love him. I still love her. And they can't be in my life. Mm -hmm. It's not healthy for me mm -hmm. to resume this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, and the, it's really hard if you, there are children involved and you're co-parenting and it's unavoidable to see them. But if there's anything you can do mm. to make those switchovers easier on you to get a friend mm. or relative involved, do that. Give yourself the time to, you know, they say that you can recreate a new habit in 48 days or whatever. It's that kind of thing. You're creating a new habit where you notice, oh, I'm obsessing about him. Mm. Okay, how can I distract myself? Distraction's an excellent thing. Go binge watch something on Netflix. <laughs> read the love thief. Right? Yeah, read the love thief for sure. Uh, or maybe watch the love thief by the time this uh, comes. When, yeah, one of these days it'll be in a limited streaming series. I do want to. I do want to tell everybody that at my website, thelovethief.com, there's a really great bonus if you order the book there. And what it is, is I went to eight of the world's top yoga instructors, people like Sean Korn. Okay, cool. Of them a difficult emotion and then had them make a video on the yoga philosophy and the yoga pose to heal that emotion. Wow. So there's one for wow. betrayal, for anger, for depression, for uncertainty, 
you know, uh, for reconnecting to the divine. So um, if you just go to thelovethief.com. Thelovethief.com. Beautiful. We'll put, that, we'll put that in the, in the show notes. That's right. And you'll get instantaneous access to these videos. And I have to say, I thought I was making these videos for my readers. I'm the one using them. <laughs> That's the one I go to. You know, when I when I feel a little disconnected, I go to reconnecting with the divine. So uh, it's uh, that was a divinely inspired bonus that, that I'm very happy to share. Beautiful. So the love thief, folks, the love thief.com. Uh, check out the book there. Get Ariel's book, The Love Thief. Um, be inspired by the bonuses. Ariel, just maybe one final question. Um, you and Brian, who I love, Brian is her beloved husband. He's the man. He's a big brother of mine. He is an embodiment of love. Every time I meet him, he just radiates love. I would love to know, maybe you can share with the leader, readers, how long have you, you both been married now? Our 25th anniversary is in two weeks and wow. we've been together for 26 years. 26 years. So I would love, I would love for you to kind of leave the readers with your like crash course, mini, you know, one or two minute masterclass on the keys that you've learned about loving in relationship and marriage. What, yeah. what's, what's, what's the secrets for those that say, you know, I really want to have a loving, sustainable, successful marriage partnership what, yeah. what 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 can you give us okay so most people think that love is a feeling mm. i know that i love you because i feel like champagne bubbles are going through my veins and and i'm in mm. this state that we call being in love which is just your brain on drugs and yeah. and i call it the state of it's the socially acceptable form of insanity <laughs> it only lasts like three months to two years and then wow. it goes away and only comes back occasionally. Yeah. So I would want people to understand that while there are good feelings to love, mm. they come and go. Mm. But the truth is real, mature, adult, lasting love is a behavior. And it's a choice. Mm. And it's a decision. It's an action. It's a way of being. And you could be with your partner and they're very likely to be days when you don't like them or you may even hate them. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you don't love them. Mm. And that the key is staying in a place of mutual respect because you're going to have differences of opinion. You have different ways of looking at the world. But we always like to, you know, see, well, you know, can I get you over to my side? My side's better. <laughs> my side's right. You know, you'll be happier on my side. So respect is really, really critical. And, and beyond that, the most important thing is who you're choosing as your life partner, because they've done true. studies on this. So true. And the people who have the longest, healthiest, happiest partnership do so because they've chosen somebody with whom they have connection, mm. compatibility, mm. chemistry, although chemistry is the least important. Mm. Right. <laughs> communication, which... Mm. Thank God can be learned. The number one most important thing is a shared vision for the future. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean you want to do all the same things, yeah. but the big things. Yes, we want to be legally married and live under one roof and have children. Yes. That's a shared vision for the future. Or we both decide we just want to be in a committed relationship and have mm -hmm. separate households and get together two or three nights a week very workable it's a shared vision mm, right yeah. or we both always want to live near the ocean mm. or we hate the sand we want to live you know mm. so the big big things whatever your biggest values are you need to have this shared vision for the future mm. you know mm. and i would say at the very least you want somebody with whom um that you both have a commitment to a healthy lifestyle you can't have a happy relationship with active addiction. It's just not possible. Mm. You want to be committed to a healthy lifestyle. You want somebody who is um, financially responsible. I'm not saying they have to be wealthy, mm. but they have to be responsible with your money and their money. Mm. You know, you need to speak the same language, mm. you know, like, um, there has to be a common language in there. You just you just can't be relying on Google Translate all the time. <laughs> right. Right? Not that it's a good it's a good starting tool, right. but because there's so many words in the world and they have different meanings in different languages, 
you know, like on my soulmate wish list all those years ago, I finally put down English as a first language because I grew up in Miami where the official language is Spanglish mm. and words are so important to me. And all my Cuban boyfriends that I had, we were never on the same page. <laughs> right. you know? And what's really funny, so I end up marrying Brian. Brian has English as a first language. What I didn't know is what he does to that language. So he makes up words and mm. he conflates words and he thinks it's really funny and doesn't <laughs> want to be cor correct. It's like, so he'll, he'll mash up, exaggerate and exasperate and come up with a third word. And so in the beginning of our relationship, I was always correcting him. Oh, I think what you meant to say was this. And after I did that about five times, he said to me, when I'm speaking to you, do you understand what I'm conveying? And I said, yes. And he said, I thought so. Stop correcting me. <laughs> so I ended up, I thought that I needed somebody who spoke perfect English. Yeah. I got I got this, you know, thing out of left field. And <laughs> it laugh because I did the wabi sabi love thing with it. Yes. Thank God he's talking to me. Yes. Thank God I can make heads or tails out of this, you know, crazy words that he's using. Mm, beautiful. I love it. Love is not simply a feeling, a mood, an emotion, it's a choice. It's a behavior, it's a decision, it's a commitment. Folks, I want you to, to take that away also from this conversation. And uh, just, I hope you're more inspired to live love in every area of your life. Um, folks, check out thelovethief.com, uh, where you can find Ariel's new book, The Love Thief, and uh, get access to some amazing free gifts that will inspire you through specific yoga poses. Um, Ariel, anything you want to leave the, leave the readers with? Anything else you feel we should know before we wrap up? Um, yes, which is simply this. There is no shortage of love in the world. Ah, beautiful. Beautiful. Folks, you heard that. There is no shortage of love in the world. Take that in. Receive that. And remember, you are love itself. Uh, folks, share this with everyone that you feel would be inspired by the conversation. Send me an email, coopblackson at coopblackson.com. I'd love to know your key takeaways from today's episode. And uh, make sure you download the episode, listen to it a few times, write a review on iTunes and Spotify. And I will catch you next week on Soul Talk. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.